Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So hear me out. It's free. My father-in-law always says, the only thing better than cheap is free. So take advantage of it. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit from your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the podcast platforms out there. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to know to make a podcast in one place. So, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Razorback Nation, welcome to the Hog Talk Podcast. Tonight, we have voice of Razorback Baseball and Ladyback Basketball programs, Bill Elson. Also, congratulations to our new producer, Porter Hayes. Our topics for the night are more saying this is the best practice he's had as head coach. Gatlin, out for the year as offensive lineman. Quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, turning heads. And will the Hogs finally play A-State? This is the Hog Talk Podcast. Okay. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of The Hog Talk. Help us get our message out by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Once you've subscribed, be sure to share with all of your fellow hog fans on social media. To my imaginary left, I have Ty Hudson of Cake Trail Network, and I have Sports and Culture, our new producer, Pet Case. Guys, how y'all doing tonight? Doing good. Doing, doing good, guys. Doing good. Hey, I'm glad to glad to be on the show. Thanks for the opportunity to to become the producer of the show. Man, I I can't wait for the guests we got coming on and the new ventures that we're we're going to have in the upcoming future. Oh man, it's looking good. Lights, lights are getting bright, and maybe the cities might be getting bigger. I don't know. Ty, man, tonight you you told us earlier this week about Gatlin being out for the year with an ACL injury. How is that going to affect the Razorbacks going forward in their depth at offensive line? 
Well, you know, there's already questions with Colton Jackson at the left tackle spot. You know, he had to miss some time last year because of an offseason surgery. And he kind of came in late, and you saw how that affected his season. Well, he, he gave up some sacks. He struggled at that left tackle spot. So your offensive line, you, you're still, even though they have the depth, and Chad Morris has bragged about he's finally got the depth that he needs up front. And then you have something like this happen with Gatlin going out. It's uh, it, it it just creates more questions than answers up front. It, it's it's a pretty big hit. Now Dalton Wagner, I think, was actually working with the ones, but we have to remember this was the first day of practice. I I think there is a possibility that that he would maybe start, but then he's got someone behind him in Dalton Wagner who could who could compete for the uh, for the job for the starting job. So maybe Wagner just takes on the role out there, or maybe someone else someone else moves outside and plays right tackle. But the offensive line, we've talked about it so much here about how many questions and the problems they have up front. And I'm going to tell you this, you know, and I'm sure this will be another topic. And we also have questions. We can't forget, we can't forget. We got the social media questions we need to answer as well. And maybe someone asked this. I'm not really sure. I haven't gone back and looked, but the question that we've had going into the year is how much, how much of an impact of an impact will guys like Shibuya Zinwana and Myron Cunningham have as, as JUCO prospects as they come in and, and they're at least one of them are probably going to see some time on the field if they can get Colton Jackson to solidify himself at that left tackle spot then that's going to free up Myron Cunningham to move inside that might maybe kind of take up for the loss of Gatlin a little bit because then maybe someone who's a backup inside can get a shot at the right tackle spot. There's a lot of moving pieces here up front, and uh, if again, if I feel like if if Dalton Wagner can can take up the slack there at right tackle, assuming he's the guy, and maybe it's not, I don't know. Again, it could be someone else, but this offensive line hinges on on those guys, you know, on on Myron Cunningham and Colton Jackson to uh, to come in and help out as far as you know your starters, and then obviously your backups are going to have to take on a whole new role this year and. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of movement up front, but this is, I, I'm going to tell you, there's some people that are kind of downplaying the injury. I think it's a pretty serious injury when you talk about how much time, I mean, he's going to miss the whole year. So it's not a three or four week or five week thing. It's a, he's out for the year type of deal, sort of, sort of injury. So yeah, it's a pretty big loss, but again, hopefully Dalton Wagner can, can kind of take up the, the, take up the mantle or somebody outside at the right tackle spot. Yeah, And, and it seemed like that, you know, Arkansas has always been plagued with these injuries in, in the preseason and also with, with what we was talking about, Colton Jackson. It's like, you know, coming into last season, everybody was kind of leading on Froholt as being that guy to step up and, and be that lineman. But the year before, he was the one that was giving them the most questions. And here we are again this year. You know, we're leaning on a guy in Colton Jackson to be that guy when last year he was giving us the most questions of, can he handle it? And so, you know, we're kind of in a bad spot when it comes to that offensive line. Well, and, you know, the thing, too, about Colton Jackson, again, he missed a, a lot of time in the last offseason. Uh, not not this year, but back in 2018. So now that he's had a – I think for the most part he's had – he's participated in uh, most of the camps. He's been more involved. I don't know. I, I feel like you want to say that he ends up losing the job probably to Myron Cunningham. If, the, if I were to roll the dice today, I would say that pr that's probably going to be the case. Um, but I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to give him I'm going to give him some slack here and we'll have to wait and see how fall camp kind of unfolds as we get closer and closer to week one. But 
Yeah, they're going to need him. In my opinion, he has got to hold down the left tackle spot so that way you free up Myron to, to help out the interior offensive lineman. Yeah, and it's not that the offensive line lacks numbers because this year, if, if this injury happens last year, that, that would leave Arkansas with only seven offensive linemen to go into 2018 with. This year, it's kind of a reversal. You have more bodies, but these guys don't have the experience. A lot of these guys are freshmen, sophomores, or JUCO players that are in their first months as a part of the roster. So uh, I don't. I think Dalton Wagner's already there in a starting rotation. I think Gatlin was running with the twos, but he did start a couple of games last year early on and looked pretty good. Yeah, uh, you know. But it's it's the significance of losing numbers. Okay. They had 17 uh, offensive linemen. Now they're down to 16. Okay, we have the numbers to maybe take a couple of hits, but you don't want to lose guys that that are like Colton Jackson, where he's he's been off and on. I mean, when he's on, he's good, but when he's off, he's way off. Yeah. But you, you want to see Colton Jackson do well, and I think that's the importance of what this senior year is going to do to him. This is his last chance. Just like a bunch of these other guys around this roster, this is their last chance. This is their last chance to start. This is their last chance to make an impact uh, going into the next stage of their careers if it so happens. Or, I mean, do they want to make an impact as a Razorback, especially guys that are in-state, like Colton Jackson, who's from Conway. Uh, guys that, you know, you know how it is. If you graduate as a Razorback and you make uh, NFL rosters or – or your playing days are over, as a Razorback, you have the opportunity to go work at other places, whether it's Walmart or J.B. Hunt or, or any kind of big big uh, companies in northwest Arkansas. They're, oh, they're picking and choosing what ra- former Razorbacks they can bring in. So, yeah. I was going to say really fast, too, and, I, and I, we didn't talk about this before the recording. We can't forget that Luke Jones is out there. I don't think – he gets cleared this year, but there there was kind of a rumor floating around that he could possibly get cleared to play this year. And I think we maybe we did mention that in the chat. I think Peck and I had talked about that in the chat a little bit. Um, so there is the possibility that he could get cleared. I'm going to say right yes. now it's not likely. But like you said, they have they have numbers now. The question is, okay, you've got numbers. What's the thing that everybody else has that's somewhat successful in the league? It's more the numbers. It's the talent. It's it's the quality of depth. That's going to be the question that's going to have to get answered this year. Like, what if if Dalton Wagner doesn't take up the slack at right tackle with Gatlin out, assuming Gatlin was going to be the guy, then who's next up? Who, who's the guy that's going to do it? So maybe they end up moving Myron Cunningham out to the right side. Although I've heard he's yeah. he's more he's a little bit more efficient on the left side. He's more of a left side offensive lineman. He can play left tackle or left guard. But um, yeah, the question for me, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna try and sum up what they've got to do it's it's what is what's the quality of depth look like moving forward and can somebody stand out and can they get five guys to consistently keep the one to to continue working with the ones from here and until they get ready for portland state yeah that is continuity it is that is key if you get five guys this week these are your guys and they stay there the rest of the the fall camp I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to feel, and I think most Hawk fans will be a little bit more confident going in, going into 2019 as far as the offensive line is concerned. There's still questions. I'm not telling you they're going to be great, but at least you'll feel a little bit, a little bit better as far as you know the the, the consistency up front. Yeah, and these guys, I mean, they, these guys being young, they have an opportunity to play two to three to maybe even four years together. So this is not going to be the 
end of the rope of this offensive line. They're not just going to grow together for a year. They have an opportunity for longevity along the offensive line at Arkansas. And it's just a start. It's the building blocks, Ty. It's the building blocks pick that, that Arkansas has to build towards as they grow. And I think that's why the offensive line, I mean, in recruiting too, they have to bring in two to three each year to keep those numbers up. And right now, Arkansas is going to do a good to- uh, job of that. But can Dustin Fry build them up along that offensive line? That's the question. Yeah, and with that eligibility thing that me and Ty talked about, it it, it seems like if you're an Alabama or an Ohio State or an Oklahoma, it's like you don't have to w- worry about you know those transfers. They're automatically getting eligibility. But it yeah. seems like these other schools, it's like, oh well, we have to wait and review the process and not. You know, I hate to call them out, but it, it seems like the NCAA needs to get on the same page and, and do it, you know, be fair across the board. Well, you that's know, a whole show that are, you know, right Yeah, <laughs> but you got guys that are, are transferring because of family reasons and they're denied. But, yet yeah, a guy goes to Ohio State for no reason at all just to play at Ohio State and he's immediately granted. So, well, you know, that. I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead. No, I was letting you finish it. Yeah, that's the thing like Fields, you know, going to Ohio State, automatically granted. But, you know, how here we are waiting to see if our guy's going to be, you know, eligible to play this year. What about, you remember, uh, speaking of that, what was his name? The tight end out of Georgia, Luke Ford? Yeah, he went to Illinois. And, and he's going to have to sit a year out. And he's got a legitimate yeah. reason to actually – you know, to, to have the, the opportunity to play because I think a, a, a dying grandparent or someone in the family, yeah. immediate family is, uh, you know, ill or something. But, yeah, he got denied. As far as I heard, they actually tried to – they challenged it and they lost again. So Luke Ford's going to have to – I might be messing that name up. It's Luke Ford. No, that's, right? it. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Now that was yeah. the one I was pertaining to. I mean, he had a family emergency and had yeah. was going to go transfer to be closer to his family. No, you know, we're, we're going to make you sit out of here. But did Jalen Hurts or, you know, these people that automatically transfer over, they're immediately granted eligibility. And I think they just – I think they need to take a look at it. But that, like you said, that's a whole nother show. Yeah, it's all really about was. income and, and, and getting the views on TV. That's, that's all it amounts to because you get these guys like OU, Alabama, and Ohio State that, are, that have been powers in the past 20 years. And even longer. I mean, here they are. They the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, and you know, again, I know we wanted to hop off this topic, but yeah. and we're trying not to make it a whole show. But the NCAA, they either they need to make a clear cut. Either you you have to sit a, a year out no matter what, or it's circumstantial. And then maybe yeah. you are, maybe you're not. And we know we know that that's not the case because of the Luke Ford issue. Luke right. Ford has a viable reason for transferring. So you either need to make it a rule or you need to do away with it. And I'm going to tell you something. I do think within the next 10 years, because we're seeing this with the grad transfer rules and all the new the new red shirt rules, I think eventually what you're going to see is that nobody's going to have to sit a year out if they transfer. Now, I know yeah. there's people out there that don't like that. There are. I've had this conversation with Razorback fans who hate that, think that, well, then that just gives them – it basically becomes its own free agency market. Well, yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't have – I personally yeah. don't have a problem with that. But if at least wants it's to cross the board. You have... know what's going on. It's cross the board. Okay, if you can transfer. Exactly. Yes. You're doing this red shirt transfer where you can play four games and then go to another school. That does more because guess what? That guy's learning your playbook for four games, half mm-hmm. a season, and then yeah. you get to go to a crosstown rival and then play against them next year. You don't think coaches aren't going to use that 
as an advantage to recruit and get them. Yeah, that that's where it is free agency. It's already it is. It's already happening. But you know, you have that you have that in the NFL. I mean, you 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 get to go to a place, and of course, it's different because then the players don't really have. You know, you just get cut or you get traded or whatever. But you know, you see, you do see from time to time guys getting traded over to a you know a, yeah. a division rival. It's a part of it. Uh, it's not like they don't have enough film to to see what's yeah. going on. I, I just personally don't have a problem with it. I think it needs to just be they should be allowed to transfer and you should be eligible right out the gate. That's my opinion. Yep. I know. Again, I'm going to catch some heat for that. I'm sure, but hey, hey, yeah. if, if the coaches stand. can do it, the players should be able to do exactly. it. Exactly. That's Holy right. cow, thank you. So, Morris. Coach Morris says this is the best practice he's had as head coach at Arkansas. Buy or sell? Pick. Well, uh, depends on, I mean, you, you're coming off a 2-10 and ten win season, so how many good practices has he actually had? One. And, you know, we're, we're, we ain't had really a full scrimmage yet. So, I mean, we're, we're still in the, in the midst of the edge of uh, – talking season so i'm gonna have right. to sell on it you know i mean yeah it might be his best practice he's had at arkansas but how much how much weight does that hold right Ty, yeah what I, you think? I i'm not yeah it's coach speak we we briefly went over <laughs> that before the show i think it's maybe it was in, in like peck said it's it's how many good practices have you actually had and now that you know maybe they did cut away some cancer in the offseason you had a lot of guys transfer out and uh, some of them even kind of went public, although anonymously, but apparently someone had some things to say about Chad Morris, a former player at, here at Arkansas. So so maybe it's a good thing. You got guys like that that are out. Maybe this was his best practice. He's actually got guys that are bought in instead of, you know, the, the Brett Bielema. I don't want to call them leftovers, but the Brett Bielema era players, most of them are, have kind of moved on and, you know, you're year two in. And you're getting more of your guys who are who you assume are bought in. Maybe it was his best practice, but I think it was coach speak at the end of the day. I mean, you go two and ten. We know that they're struggling with bringing people to the games as it is. Even winning teams are having trouble bringing people to, to the games. They're fighting against they're fighting against the couch. I mean, you know. Yep. So, and another thing, we didn't make it a topic, but they cleared alcohol. You could now have alcohol at the games at the Razorback games. So we know. They're desperate to get people to the games. I'm sure that's been shared from Hunter Yurchak to Chad Morris. Hey, yeah. you know, if you want to kind of positively spin some things to the media, that'd be great. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. That's their job. You need to create hype, um, and you see it on social media. But I, I think that's a lot of what this is. I think it's yeah. it's coach speak. But, hey, you know what? We'll see the proof of the pudding when, when the product's actually out on the field and they're playing. And, and so maybe there's some truth to what he's saying. Quarterbacks turning heads. K.J. Jefferson got a little bit of praise from Morris, and the praise went a little long ways with the media and fans. Ty, what are your thoughts on K.J.? I, you know, I like K.J. a lot, and we've had the discussion here multiple times. I do feel like people are putting way too much on this kid. He, he, it, we see it again. Coach Morris comes out and, and says that, you know, he he felt like KJ was further along than he thought, and he you know apparently was he was the media also praised just the way everything that he was doing his throwing mechanics. People were catching video video of him throwing and going through uh, going through routes with his receivers, and they're bragging on everything the guy's doing. I think KJ is going to be special. I've I've said that since day one. He is a big time quarterback at Arkansas. He's going to have to be patient, but again. 
is this some of that coach speak a little bit? I don't know. I, I here I don't think that's the case because I'm not sure that KJ is going to be the guy come come day one. I think it's going to come down between Hicks and Starkle, as I'm sure we all agree with that. So maybe I, you know, look, he's he was highly recruited and had some really solid, committable offers out of high school for a reason. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that again. I'm I'm big on him if he's patient. Um, if he's patient, I think Arkansas could have themselves a pretty stellar quarterback in the coming years. But yeah, it's it's good to see that he's getting bragged on. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I wonder. It's too bad they couldn't get him here in the spring, because yeah. uh, then maybe we'd be talking about how they're installing offense with him. And I don't think they're. I'm not sure that they're there yet with him. Maybe they are. But if that is the case, if they're installing offense with KJ. Then who knows? Maybe we have a guy fighting to be in the rotation, maybe be a backup, or, or maybe even have a shot if these two guys, if Starkle and Hicks don't work out. But yeah, I think there's something to read there a little bit, maybe not too much, but I hope people just relax, pump the brakes on KJ. Again, I've had people tell me he runs like Darren McFadden and throws like Ryan Mallett. So let's pump the brakes just a second there and, and let's let the kid progress as a young man in, in, in his coming years at Arkansas. But I, I'm big on KJ, and I'm excited to see what he can do in the future for sure. Now, Peck. I, I think it's good because all we've heard off season is Hicks and Starkle and Hicks and Starkle. It's kind of cool to hear another name other than Hicks or Starkle. And, and then, again, what we talked about earlier and all these questions we got with the offensive line, maybe it's going to be good to have somebody behind center that can that's a little quick on their feet. We might need it. So, you know, if, he, if he's progressing and – Maybe he can come in on a third down and, and get us a first down or run away from the defense that's bearing down on you. So if he can get that arm and, and get going, you never know. He might be the guy come late in the season. So well, they, they may have to rely on somebody other than these two. I don't know. I, I know there's people that are bragging on Hicks. I've, I've seen where people in the media are like, well, look, we're getting a look at, at Hicks, and the guy throws a pretty darn good ball. Um, and Starkle, you know, the same. We saw what he did at A&M. But Ty Richardson actually pointed this out on social media, that Starkle, his record against the SEC was terrible. It was like one in five or something. It, it was not good. He only won one game and as, as the head quarterback at Texas A&M. So you got to imagine, if he couldn't do it last year with, with A&M, with that kind of talent, what are the odds that he can do it at Arkansas? Maybe they're not. And now, I, I do think Starkle's going to be pretty good. And I think Hicks will be a, a solid backup, assuming he loses the job to Starkle. But what if these two are being kind of overblown by local media? We've definitely seen that here time and time again. What if that, those are the odds? And KJ, all of a sudden, we're hearing his name more and more, and he's the guy. But here's the question I want to ask you, too. What would you rather them do with KJ? Would you rather them let him redshirt? Let him let him play just the amount that he can play until he burns his or before he burns his redshirt. Or would you rather just go ahead and put him out there and just see what he can do all year long? And turn, you know, obviously he wouldn't start, but as someone who, let's say, if Arkansas is good enough and they have mop up duty, if that's the case, I know that's a stretch right now, but if that's the case, what would you guys rather them do? Redshirt KJ or not? Long pause. I'm gonna let Peck go first. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing: you got that benefit. You got four games. That that's the thing where where in years past you don't, but one I mean if he can get you a good drive, and and get you down the field and possibly get you a score or even set you up for a field goal. I mean use him because here's the thing and I, I brought it up the last time I was on was with, with you know T J Hammonds and 
you know, everybody's outcry when he wasn't getting the ball, when they seen what he could do with the ball, not because he was the fan favorite or why ain't this guy on the field. They seen what he could do when he got the ball. If, if KJ Jefferson does that thing and he's getting the ball and he's doing those drives and they're like, man, why ain't this guy getting on the field more? Give him that opportunity. What's it going to hurt? If, if he's producing, what is it hurting by letting him go out there? You're not losing anything if you can play him four games. Mm. I like that take. So I'm thinking he plays four games. I don't know which four games, but, I mean, plays four non-conference games. That's cool. But if he plays an SEC game, that's great too. But I just don't see – I don't see where he plays. Maybe he's – maybe they put him out in random spots. You know, maybe Starkle or Hicks aren't really doing it. But you don't want to have the same problem as you did last season between Ty Story and, and Cole Kelly. I mean, that's just not the case right now, I don't think. I think you had two high-quality quarterbacks or mid-quality quarterbacks – an upgrade from what you got last year between uh, Kelly and Story. Uh, I think I think KJ, if he comes in and he plays well against a SEC competition, if he gets that chance, roll with it, baby. But if he doesn't, just but here's the it's thing whatever. with and I mentioned it, you know, again, you know, mentioned it last time with with the whole Story and Kelly. You know, I heard a quote like when it come to you know when Coach Bealum left, you're only good as your next job. Now, neither one of them quarterbacks went to another SEC school. They didn't go to a Big Ten school. One went to Western right. Kentucky, and I, I can't remember where the other one went, like southeastern Louisiana or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. what what is that saying? You know, what is that really saying about the problem that they had last year with the quarterback? Neither one of them were that – and I'm not downing them whatsoever. They're good guys. They're good quarterbacks. But they're not SEC quarterbacks. If you're having all this attention on these two guys and you got another one that can also, that's a good problem to have. When is the last time that Arkansas has been able to say, we've got three guys who could possibly step up and win us a game? Well, well, it could be potentially good. It could also be potentially bad because then, then, you know, the old saying is when you got two quarterbacks, you got no quarterbacks. You're right, though. I mean, it is the, the look of it is that Arkansas has a good problem right now because. KJ Jefferson is getting some spotlight. He's getting he's getting notes from Chad Morris in the media, and then uh, uh, and then obviously you've got Starkle and Hicks who bring their own thing to the table, right? Starkle, who's played Power Five SEC football, Hicks has 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 started and played and been successful in Chad Morris's offense. The only reason why I ask that question is because KJ has something that those other two guys don't have, and that's mobility. He is far more mobile he he offers way more as far as a dual threat quarterback and i wonder you know and i'm not saying he's matt jones but uh, i wonder if there's a package that maybe they put in for him you know like a read option or you know that's because that's what their offense is at the end of the day that's what chad morris wants to run he wants to get back to that you know to that to that kind of that that style of read option play by the quarterback and you know pitching it out or whatever uh you know very almost gus malzahn-esque type offense downhill running KJ offers that, and I wonder if you bring if you bring him in in certain packages, and if it's successful, then then they probably do end up burning his red shirt. But I, I we're going way ahead with all that, but it is something interesting to think about because again, I think he brings something to the table if these other two guys don't bring, and I think there is the possibility that he burns his red shot red shirt. Although I'm going to say right now, I don't think it happens. I think at the end of the day, it's down between Starkle and Hicks, and then that's going to be it. But 
it's going to be really cool and interesting to see what they do with him in the coming years and, and see them actually install more of Chad Morris's offense. And you could do that through KJ Jefferson. Well, and here's one point that uh, nobody's talked about. And I, I just, it just occurred to me, like, what does he have that nobody else on the squad has? He's got that hunger because everybody's been talking about Hicks and Starkle. This oh, yeah. guy could sit there on the sidelines. Okay. I'm going to wait my year. I'm going to sit back and learn this offense, but no, he's like, no, I'm going to make my time to shine, and he's out there producing, knowing he's third in line, but he's out there making waves. That shows me that, hey, he's not he's not going down without a fight, and that, and that could come in handy, whether it's this year or, or next year. He is at least showing us that he has that fight to want to be on the team. Yeah. 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 So, uh, real quick, we're going to take a break, and right after this, we'll take your two questions uh, about the Twitter Q&A. Uh, that we had with the Hog fans earlier, and will the Hogs play A-State? And then after that, we have Bill Elson joining us for an interview, and you will not want to miss that. This is the Hog Talk Podcast. The Yellow Jacket Drive-In is the hub of downtown Shedden, Arkansas. They are the home of the Hubcap Cheeseburgers. They'll give you crinkle-cut french fries that will tease your palates. The tastiest shakes in the state at 100 North Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas. They are family-owned, fast service, and the folks of the Yellow Jacket are ready to see you. Call in your order ahead at 870-942-2486. Welcome back to the Hog Talk Podcast. In this segment, we have the Twitter Q&A and we have, will the Hogs play a state? Woo, that's a burning question. And I've been camping all weekend, so I really missed a lot of the conversation of what was happening. So Ty, Peck, I'm going to let Peck go first, because I, I heard a little bit of intriguing uh, stuff coming from your mouth earlier. Let me know about your feelings towards A-State and Arkansas playing. Man, I think it needs to happen. Uh, I think it would be very beneficial if they did because the most important thing, you know, and they want to say what they want to do about, like, it's all about money. What yep. non-conference game is going to get you the most money? If you do Arkansas, Arkansas State, week one in War Memorial Stadium, you've got the Salt Bowl on Friday, and I give props to, to Mr. Ruskin over there on Ruskin and Zach. You know, he brought up the good point about having the Salt Bowl on Friday and then having the Arkansas-Arkansas State game on, on Saturday. So I can't take full credit for that. But that would be huge if you had 30000 for a high school game and then you had 55000 the next night for the game. You are not. You can't even get 20000 in there for a, an SEC game, hardly. If you bring in a state, you're going to get 55000 You're going to have the tickets sold out in, in, in one day. But the other thing of it is, you know, A-State's been wanting this and they've been wanting it because they're, they're, they're kicking the dog whites down. So what you do is you, you settle two games. Let, let's do a two-game series, Walmart Stadium, week one. They bring them in there. Arkansas drubs them two, day, two years in a row, and you're going to send them back up to Jonesboro with their ta tails between their legs, and you're not going to hear no more about it. That, that's what needs to happen, you know. They're, on, they're waiting to play them when they're good. Well, you know, they need to play them and give them the game they want. You beat them by 30, beat them by 40, and send them back up to Northeast Arkansas. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't know. You, you say it's going to be a sellout. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I don't think Arkansas fans view Arkansas State as 
uh, as any kind of a, well, we know they don't view him as a rivalry. And I, I just, I, I think it's hard to sell to Arkansas fans. That's why you get the pushback on social media. Nobody wants to play them. But you're and, only coming from the Arkansas side of it. You promote that week one. Guess what? Where's the other half of the coming? From? Yeah, but they're not, they're not going to fill up a stadium though. Peck. They're not, Arkansas they wouldn't State bring 15,000. They probably would bring some fans, but there's a heck of a lot more people in War Memorial than 15,000. You're not – I don't think you fill up the stadium with Arkansas State. I just don't. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I do think they should play the game, absolutely. Um, you you say they're going to they're gonna beat Arkansas State, you know, and send them back to Jonesboro. I don't know that that's the case because they can't even beat North Texas. There's the possibility that Arkansas State actually beats Arkansas right now. If I'm Arkansas State, I want to play this game now. I want to get this contract. I want to get it going, a two-game home – or, well, not a home at home, but figure something out and, and get the game, you know, the next year or, or next couple of years while Arkansas is kind of down. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it brings the crowd – but I do think you'll see Hog fans that are excited about it. They'll definitely show up and want to watch it or at least show up for the game. Um, but I, I don't understand the other side of this argument, though, where people are saying that, that you know, they shouldn't play Arkansas State because of, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. I've yet to hear a good argument against this game. I have yet to hear it. All I hear is, you know, well, you could lose recruiting battles with Arkansas State if you happen to lose to them. No, you're not. You know what? Arkansas State lost to UCA. They didn't lose recruits to UCA. All of a sudden, you didn't have – and I know that's different divisions and whatever, but you didn't – it's not like it hit their, their recruiting any more than what it is. They're already barely a top 100 recruiting program. But uh, do you lose credibility? Well, how is this loss any different than a loss to North Texas? How is this? How would that loss be any different than, you know, I, I don't know, insert Colorado State? It, to me, there's just no good argument against this game. I understand it kind of being a nuisance and just, you know, wishing Arkansas State fans would would stop with the rhetoric. Uh, we know their AD and their staff have kind of taken shots at Arkansas since they've been down. Uh, you know, maybe that changes in the next couple of years if Arkansas can get things turned around. But yeah, I, I I don't understand the other side of this argument. I think they should play it, and maybe I, I don't think it should be a year in and year out. I'm with UPEC. I think they play it a couple of years and then be done with it. And then you make everybody happy and. You get the game out of the way and you move on with life, but uh, it should happen. And and I I think there's the possibility with with Hunter Yurchek. It seems like he's willing to at least entertain the idea. So I, I have no problem with it. The the only way I can see them not wanting it is if they are eventually not wanting to keep playing in War Memorial Stadium. Yeah. If if you bring in Arkansas State and you say Arkansas State, and I know I might be over-exaggerating if they fill the stands, but I know they're going to bring in way more than if a nickel state oh, or sure. whoever. Yeah. So yeah. if if they are wanting, and I don't really know Hunter Yurchek's stance on Little Rock, but if he is wanting to eventually get out of that contract, I don't know when it comes up again, but if he then he is not going to bring that game in because that will bring the fans there and it's going to want them to keep the contract going. Mm-hmm. So that's my only stance of why they're not wanting to do it. I could still see them playing that in Fayetteville, though. I really could. Um, I don't think they would ever sign on to do a home-at-home with them, but I could see them doing playing that game in Fayetteville. And I do think it would create a little bit of buzz because there are a lot of fans. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are some fans that want to play this game, Arkansas yeah, fans. Absolutely. So, so, real quick, let's try to make this about 30 seconds or less by answering our Twitter poll, or not really Twitter poll, but Twitter questionnaire, 
or comment fest, whatever you want to call it. The, we asked your questions on we asked a quick question on Twitter and and we want your answers back. And TNA Whoopig, who is a avid follower on our page, he says, "Don't y'all love what you are seeing right now with how close the team is and the foundation that's being built?" I know we were 2-10 and 10 last year, but I don't think I've ever been this excited for a season to start. Ty, I'm going to go with you, and then I'll go with Peck on the next question here. What do you think about Arkansas's continuity or, or maybe brotherhood that's going on uh, going in year two under Chad Morris? Yeah, I think I think fans are more excited, but it's interesting because you know year two, they're still not favored by most to even make a bowl game, and yet Hog fans are still – and I get to it's football. You know, you've only got 12 games a year. It's not like the NFL where it takes up, you know, 16 or 18 weeks with 16 games and you have a whole playoff in the Super Bowl. It doesn't drag on quite like that or, or even other major sports. So you only get like a small chunk of the year and we all get excited. But Razorback fans, he, he's got a really good point. TNA has a good point. There's a lot of there's a lot of excitement. And he's right also about the foundation that Chad Morris is building because it's certainly there. The recruiting speaks for itself. Well, at least on paper anyways, you know, with that unbelievable class they signed. And uh, I even say the tail end of that 2018 class I thought was pretty good when he brought in guys like Woods and Dorian Gerald and uh, Joseph Fouché and those guys. And then you move into the next class, and then that was spectacular, a top 25 class despite just finishing 2-10. and 10. So, yeah, there's there's foundation there. There's some excitement thanks to recruiting. Even though the barbecue doesn't seem like it really went the way they wanted to in terms of immediate commits, but, you know, we've been there. We've talked about that already. But, the uh, yeah, there's excitement, and, and I think there should be. I think there really should be. I think the, the they're going to at least turn things around this year, and they're going to they're gonna do something. I think it's going to have a better – they're going to have a better product on the field, and that is something worth – that's something worth being excited about, especially for the Razorbacks in recent years. And just real quick, I think, from my eyes anyway, because being a Clemson fan and, and Chad Morris coming from Clemson, I'm starting to see some glimpses of Clemson and Chad Morris at Arkansas. He's bringing in the barbecue. They've done that at Clemson. And I've heard, I don't know if you've caught it, he's mentioned this all-in mentality. This, he's mentioned all-in a couple of times, and that's been Dabo's motto from day one so i'm i'm starting to see a little bit of clemson come out in chad morris yeah yeah so uh let's see here we will get to jerry thompson who will get the majority of the carries this year whaley or boy what do you think peg well and, and i guess with both of them you know not really being 100 percent healthy it's, it's kind of hard to say at this point but if I was to go one way or the other, I would definitely say, you know, Whaley's going to come in and get, get the majority of the snaps. But to me, honestly, to be honest, it, it, it's a 50-50 deal when it comes to those two. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ty, you're a big Zach Zemos fan. Does he start at linebacker this season? This is Grant Mason's question. wouldn't say I'm a big Zach Zemos fan. I, I do like – I like what he brings to the table with his size and athleticism. It's going to be a matter of whether or not he catches on what Ch uh, John Chavis wants to do on defense. I do think he comes in and plays. I don't know, again, if he starts. I think he rotates. We know he's probably going to be a, end up on special teams. I don't think he's someone that redshirts. I'll say that much. I think he's enough. Yeah. He'll rotate and maybe eventually get some starting time. 
but yeah, I, th- I think he the odds of him getting redshirted are very low. Odds of him starting, I don't know. That's a coin flip right now. We'll just have to wait and see what they do with with the other. You, you know, I've heard Devion McClure. Did I, maybe I'm wrong. I think they'd said that he moved back to that position. Maybe you guys know more about that than I do. Um, or, or you know, with 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 that particular linebacker spot, I, I don't know if if. If no one else shines and Zach Zymos understands what, what, what's being asked of him, yeah, I think he's got a shot at starting. But uh, I, I'm not sure right now. I'd say it's a coin flip, but he, I don't think he – I definitely don't think he red shirts. Yeah. We hinted on this a few minutes ago, Peck. This is from Justin Potts. He says, this really isn't a question, but something to strike a combo. Is there a way that Chad Morris – or is there is no way that Chad Morris takes Hicks out if he leads a win against Ole Miss? Bad part is – that Starkle gives a better chance against the rest of the SEC games. So, is it start with Starkle or ride Hicks still a few losses? Definitely Hicks. I mean, we, we talked about this last time. You know, you, you, you've you got to go with the guy, <clears throat> unless Starkle comes in and just blows Morris away in, in, in the, you know, the fall camp. But, no, you definitely go with Hicks and, uh, until he proves he can't do it. We've seen what happened years ago with Mr. Mitch Mustang, eight, no coming in. He's got the continuity got, the, and then all of a sudden he's benched. We've seen what that does to a locker room. And that's the last thing you need to do right now is, is separate that locker room. And if he comes in he's playing four games and he's controlling that team, if he's being a leader and then you take him out, I don't think that's, I don't think in my eyes it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, Ty, Real fa- real flavor beeps. Do y'all see Sosa Aguim and Scooter Harris as next level players, as in NFL talent? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. I, I think I think Sosa, even though he's, you know, the question is, can he have that kind of year that Armand Watts had a year ago, where he comes out of obscurity and then blows up? And and I think among interior defensive linemen, he was like top twelve or top ten in the country in quarterback sacks. I think he ended up with like seven. You wonder with Sosa, who's now at his natural position, can he have that kind of that kind of blow year? Although he's not coming from obscurity, he's a three-year starter, but he's projected as a as an NFL prospect now, even before the season. Yeah, Scooter's a different story. You talk about size and, and his overall athleticism at the position. I do think he, I, does he get drafted? That's a question. I don't know. I, I know some fans. Who I've had this conversation with, we're like, well, yeah, no duh, of course he does. Look at how great he is. He's a first team caliber all SEC player. Well, yeah, but there's other factors into that. You know, there's there's, you know, how does he look on film at the end of the day to these scouts? If he goes to the combine, how well does he do at the combine? When he goes to the senior, I'm I'm assuming he gets the shot at the uh, senior bowl. How well does he stand out there? There's a lot of variables between now and the end of the season. Does he get drafted? Is I don't know. Sosa, I do feel like gets gets drafted. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that right now. Scooter, I, I don't know. Uh, he is good. He's he's definitely an all SEC caliber linebacker. I think he's got a shot. Um, as far as is is he true next level talent? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll see. Uh, but I, he's just, he's a spectacular SEC linebacker, and typically that bodes pretty well for for a player to go on into the next level. So we'll see. But as of right now, I think for sure Sosa is and Scooter probably. Yeah. Welcome back to the Hog Talk Podcast. Tonight we have a special guest in 
in the studio, and it is Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Mr. Phil, thank you for coming on tonight. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's uh, Everybody likes to talk baseball during the baseball season, but it's kind of rare to be doing it here in the um, beginning of August, at least college baseball. I mean, pennant races are kind of shaping up and everything. So, yeah, I appreciate having me on. How's offseason going for you? It's good. It takes a while to, I guess, adjust or readjust to whatever normal life is supposed to be like when you're not, you know, you know, we're doing baseball games five or six times a week. <laughs> uh, and right. of course, basketball was before that. So the adjustment period takes a moment. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's been fine. I'm uh, working on the radio show with Ty Richardson on ESPN Arkansas from uh, 12 to 2 halftime. And uh, I've had my kids most of the summer and it's been active. We've taken some trips. It's felt like a summer. It's weird. You know, I worked in minor league baseball for 17, 18 years. And that was summer was baseball games day after day after day. You kind of forget what a summer used to feel like, which was, you know, going to the pool, going to amusement parks, going to concerts, taking trips, that kind of stuff, you know, outside of school. So uh, doing Razorback baseball has given me a little more of a reappreciation of what summer used to feel like as a kid, save for I don't play baseball anymore because that's also what summer used to be like. Yeah, and Phil, this Porter here, I was kind of, you know, about the whole kind of shock value, you know, with the women's basketball team going to the SEC women's tournament, having that late run and then overlapping with the baseball season. It's kind of uh, you were doing both there for a while and then you get to just <laughs> do nothing. So it's kind of a, a shock to actually be able to sit back and enjoy life a little bit. Right. And you wouldn't think of something as simple as being laid back as a shock to the system, but it is, <laughs> it just is, especially when I mean, college baseball. So uh, at the end of the season for teams like Arkansas, you know, that are amongst the national contenders or even teams that are just used to making it to the NCAA tournament. You don't know when things are going to end. You're, you know, for about a month or so, you're in this constant state of, of heightened awareness that the season could end at any moment because you're in the tournament, you know, and, and when you go as deep as Arkansas has, at least in the last couple of years. And I mean, even in 2017, you had a pretty tense regional against Missouri state. Yes. It just, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it does take a little moment to get used to, to the day-to-day -day nature of life. Uh, but then you can fall back into it and then it becomes routine and it becomes enjoyable and you all end up discovering things about life that you hadn't enjoyed in a long time. Yeah, for sure. I know what you mean. I have, I've had the summer off myself and this was kind of my, my first summer to do that. And I've spent a lot of time with my girls. I've got a seven year old and a, and a four year old and spent a lot of time with them. It's been, it's been nice. It's been really cool. Take trips with them that I can't normally do during the fall and obviously during the school year. So, uh, but you mentioned a minute ago about you just never know when the season's going to end with college baseball. I think we can all agree that no one really saw and switching over to, to the Razorbacks. No one really saw these guys making the college world series. You know, when you talk about like preseason going into last season, what, what are your thoughts there? Was that, when, I guess, really the question is, when did you know that, okay, this is a legit postseason team that could make a run? Well, I mean, 
there, there, I guess there were skeptics from the start, but there were also some people that, that, that definitely looked at what you had, which was a core of battle tested, really good ball players, And, and, you know, in, in Martin Kerstad and, and Dominic Fletcher, you know, and, and, and so you're also kind of at the start, if you have this optimistic outlook on, on a college baseball team, a lot of times you're seeing it right now in college football, you know, I mean, a lot of it with the preseason polling and all that kind of stuff is based upon reputation of uh, coaches, uh, track record of success, what they've been able to do with teams that have had uh, had to replace a lot, and and then you end up uh, you end up with a team that has a lot of questions that are answered perfectly, which is what happened to Arkansas. Uh, it was, it, that, that's the thing, you know, you had to replace two thirds of a lineup two-thirds of our starting rotation and about two-thirds of your bullpen too and to a to a a man every open position was answered in some sort of a positive way so when did I start buying in I mean it would have been the sweep against Mississippi State but really earlier in the month of April the first weekend, it was a road trip at Auburn. And this is really when I started to kind of get back to being with the team on a, on a game-by-game basis because the women's NIT had ended about a month, a week before for, for, for Mike Neighbors' team. So, you know, they go to Auburn. They're on the road. It's a, play, it's a team that they'd lost to the last couple of years. It's a tough place to play. It's a good Auburn team. As we find out later, they go to the College World Series. And, you know, you have the first game bang because of rain. You end up with this Friday doubleheader that starts at one o'clock. Isaiah Campbell gives you a lead. They ended up choking on the lead, couldn't hold it, lose in heartbreaking fashion. And then end up with their backs against the wall in this 15 inning marathon later on in the day. I mean, they played 23 innings that day. I guess it was 20. It was, uh, it was 23, 24 innings. It was incredible. And, you know, they, they end up beating Auburn after Auburn and thought that they celebrated. I mean, you guys know the story. That was the one that really showed that this team had that attitude, you know, that they might lose a game. They might lose a series, perhaps, but they're going to come back and fight and, and, and play with some gumption. And the next day, they, they, you know, they get a great start from Patrick Wicklander. They go on to win. I think it was 5 nothing, and take the series two out of three. You know, they didn't start cruising from there because I think the next week they went to Vanderbilt and, and almost got swept, but, you know, had this great Sunday comeback in the ninth inning. And again, that was a moment showing against a great team, obviously, in Vanderbilt yeah. that maybe you'll lose, but you, you, it ain't going to come easy and we're going to fight. And they ended up stealing a pretty amazing win. And then they got rolling with the sweep against Mississippi State. So... Uh, to, to face those three teams in the same month, all of them that ended up in Omaha, and to, to, to win those games in such emotional fashion, yeah. you, you started to see the team gel a little bit then. That was pretty incredible, too, because I can remember thinking, just going into the season, like that was the, the question. Can they, can they at least put something together and be competitive in the, in the conference? And then they turned it around around that time and started playing just stellar baseball. Obviously, it didn't end the way that everyone wanted, but I thought it was pretty spectacular that they made the College World Series in a year that no one really had them in it. No, I mean, most most baseball sites, and there's a lot of them, I don't think anyone had Arkansas as a team to make it to Omaha, but it was pretty spectacular uh, to make back-to-back. And uh, so, obviously, the, the follow-up question to that would be, how do you feel 
talking about preseason baseball going into next year. How do you feel about this team? Feel really good about them. Um, <laughs> a lot of it also is because if you have this core of battle-tested, really good ball players and pitchers now. That, that was the real question last year is you didn't really know where the battle-tested pitchers, so to speak, were coming from. Um, and, and you have them now. I mean, Patrick Wicklander, Connor Nolan, Caleb Bolden, if he's able to bounce back from the Tommy John surgery, that in a, of itself alone, coming back from TJ surgery, is coming back from a battle. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to re- need to replace a lot in the in the bullpen, but for some reason, the last couple of years, they've been able to do that. Guys have stepped up into roles that they didn't necessarily serve the year before in uh, and pass tests with flying colors. Um, you know, you don't have Matt Cronin, though, as the hammer in the back of the bullpen, so that's that's one big thing that you have to answer. Uh, but uh, yeah. they'll hit. They'll hit. They'll field. Uh, they have a great incoming recruiting class. Uh, and and I think you'll see steps up from players that you need to, you know, like Christian Franklin offensively, Casey Opitz with the bat, Jacob Nesbitt. I think it'll be a really good team. I can't make any sort of prediction like where they might no. finish, but, you know, if you've been there two years in a row and you've got a nucleus like you already have, three years in a row is it's not like an obvious choice but it's definitely within range yeah and yeah phil i i kind of want to touch on connor noland and his decision to stick with baseball and uh you know tyler wilson brought up a a good point a, a long time ago and he said the mechanics between being a quarterback and then transitioning to a pitcher what part of his decision just to stick with baseball and getting those mechanics down because, you know, it seemed like it took him a while to get into the groove into the season. And also kind of a two-part question, what part of, you know, Isaiah Campbell's progression between last year and then this past season kind of made him realize, like, look how much I can grow if I just concentrate on baseball and, and where he could be next year. Well, I mean, I really can't speak necessarily for Connor, like how he would view Isaiah, but I did talk to them, the two of them, about him. And and Isaiah stepped up into this leadership role as a pitcher. He wasn't just great as a starter on the mound. He was great as a leader in the dugout and and overall with the pitchers, especially the young ones. And I I don't think there's any doubt that Connor Nolan has, you know, studied what Isaiah did. I don't know if study is the right thing because the two of them were always together. They were just... They were they they seem to be best of friends. So I'm sure he's picked up plenty from Isaiah, and that can only be good things. Only be good things, you know. And 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 as far as Connor's decision, I don't know how much of it has to do with, you know, how how he started the season and all of that. It's just there's one quarterback. You can only play one quarterback. It, there, that, I mean, look at what everybody's talking about going into football camp right now. It's the quarterback position because. There's only one quarterback on the field at any time, and there's one game a week. It's such a different thing. I think for Connor Nolan, it was a matter of you have the ability in both sports, and I, I can't say anything about like where Connor would have stood as a pro prospect for football, but for baseball, he's he's got he's got a body type that and an athletic ability and a pitch ability that if he gains some velocity, which he should from freshman to sophomore year. Um, he can he he could be a pro prospect, so that's where the, I think more that's where the opportunity lied for him. 
and and then to to really make some great performances, albeit you know four to five innings mostly, and not to poo poo that because that's really what people are asking for starting pitchers now. But as a freshman against Mississippi State, you know against uh, Auburn, uh, against Ole Miss in certain situations, you know he 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 came through, and I think he showed this is a kid that can compete at the highest level uh, of college baseball and probably beyond. Yeah, and I've I definitely seen some similarities to <clears throat> Connor this year opposed to, like, what Isaiah did last year. You know, the, he come in and had some really good outings, but then he struggled. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to next year if he can really kind of grasp, you know, just sticking to baseball and and then, of course, grabbing that leadership role if, if he can kind of just – you know, carry on that tradition of what Isaiah did. And then, you know, Blaine Knight did the year before and become that number one guy. I mean, that's, that's really a key thing when it comes to those series is having that one guy, you know, that can get that win for you, you know, as a Friday starter. Well, for, for Connor, it's, it's imperative that, that, that his fastball picks up a little speed, um, not to take away from what he was throwing last year, because sometimes he would touch 90, 91, but I think, He's got the capability of, of being 93, 94, pitching maybe a little more than that, you know. But, I mean, you look at other starts. So we're talking about Isaiah Campbell for a quick moment. You could see as a freshman Isaiah Campbell was going to bring gas. He just had that body and that delivery, and he did bring gas as a freshman. Blaine Knight, too, uh, maybe not quite to that level. But, you know, as a freshman with Connor Nolan, you, you didn't see that. You saw mostly, I think, high 80s. And, look, he <laughs> – you can get outs with high 80s right now. It's just you got to throw harder if you're going to end up a, a real pro prospect. That's what major league scouts are looking for. Um, and, and he's got the body type and he's got the pitch ability and all of that to, to actually bring the sort of gas that, that you need. But you, this is going to be fun, too, because you got this really good one-two combo of Wicklander and Noland for a Friday-Saturday combo, however they're going to be used next year. Um that puts you in a place where you really haven't been the last two years. Cause even in 2018, you know, you expected to have a pretty good two man rotation, but you thought it was going to be Blaine Knight and Isaiah Campbell. Campbell ended up being the shaky ish one every once in a while. And Casey Murphy steps up into this role last year. You know, I mean, it was, you knew you're going to get a dominant start from Zay. And then you kind of wondered what might happen the next two days. I feel like going into 2020, you've got a really solid Friday-Saturday starter combo, no matter who it is. About Isaiah Campbell, too, just to touch on that really quick. Uh, I think Dave Van Horn even had said that that was, that was one of the, the best turnarounds he had ever seen from one year to the next. I was going to get your opinion on that, how you thought about like just his progression during the offseason from you know his second year to his third year, just kind of what you thought of all that. Because he turned it around, and it was unlike anything I think most fans had ever seen. Isaiah, well, it's not, he wasn't bad the year before. It just, I think for some reason, people have in their minds sometimes stuck that he lost the championship game to Oregon State. You know, he, he didn't make it out of the first inning against uh, Dallas Baptist, the whole three batter thing and all that. And he had a couple other starts that just weren't good. He got batted around by Florida. It was more because he was hurt and didn't tell anybody. But he had some really good performances too, you know, as a sophomore which included, you know, a revenge game and, and dominant performance against Florida in Omaha to send Arkansas to the finals. 
So he wasn't bad as a sophomore at all. In fact, at times he was better than anybody else on that starting rotation. It just didn't happen week after week like it did this last year because that was the difference. Um, I guess consistency was the difference at the end of the day then. Right. You can't you can't get stuck in your mind that you know the the three batter thing against Dallas Baptist. That was more about the situation. You can't lose. You didn't want to lose that game. You it was just that's that's college baseball. That's just mm-hmm. that's Dave Van Horn being very aggressive, removing the starter in the first inning. It proved to be a genius move. Um, and and they the next week went out and threw really well against South Carolina. It's just this last year he just did it every single time out. It was amazing to see him just neutralize the best lineups in the country time in, time out. And the way he finished the season against Florida State, he was awesome. But yeah. He just couldn't hit that day. I think a right. lot of it was that confidence factor. Like, you know, when Blaine Knight had his run, he knew when he stepped on that mound he was going to beat that team. The fans knew when he stepped on that mound he was going to beat the team. And I think it carried over this year with with, with Campbell. He knew just as well as the fans when, when – he stepped on that mound. It was it was almost a, a 99% chance he was going to get that win. So I'm hoping that, you know, if Nolan gets that confidence to become that guy when he knows he can step on that mound, that, that he he's going to get a win. Well, you got to score runs for him, you know. I mean, That's they right. got to – it's all it's really going to come down to can they keep hitting the way that this team has hit the last two years, really the last three years been one of the most productive offenses in college baseball three years running um and and i think they've got pieces to do that so that i mean yeah you're, i mean you got good pitching but usually this team is uh they they rely on outscoring other teams <laughs> by putting up nine or ten sometimes in one inning um back in june uh, at the end of base college baseball season, and the NCAA decided not to go with paying a third assistant. What is the effect a third a third paid assistant would have on college baseball? Well, I mean it it gives more security to coaching staffs because I don't think that volunteer assistants stick around much longer than one year unless you're lucky, right. you know, unless you're Josh Holiday and your brother's Matt Holiday. <laughs> and, and or you know unless Texas and somehow you get Troy Tulowitzki to be a volunteer assistant, you know who knows how long that lasts. But it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it, I think it, it provides the sort of security, job security that just keeps things more cohesive for coaching staffs because I think all of those positions are usually viewed as springboards. I, I think there's been a different volunteer assistant every year that I've been doing. Arkansas baseball games, then they usually use it as a springboard to end up being one of the paid assistants on another Division One program. Um, so it's different at Arkansas than it is, I think, at other places, even in right. what these guys end up making, um, which usually, as I understand, is through you know camps and, and stuff like that. The coaches are able to do that, but they just don't, and they don't get they're they're uh, they're contractors in that sense, so they don't. Right get the benefits go along with it. But I also think it would be not, not a cosmetic thing, but it's just uh, college baseball people that pay attention to it and love it as a sport have plenty to gripe about. I, I feel like with, with uh, the way the sport is treated perhaps in some ways with the scholarship limit and, Gosh. 
and and with you know this this third this third assistant thing and I don't know it, it, there there's such a difference and it's the same in the other sports too but there, there's such a difference between the haves and the have-nots um, and and this plays into it too. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of talk at you know with Vanderbilt and how they how exactly do they deal with their their scholarships and how they hand those out and uh, I guess they don't have to they don't have to inform anybody of how they of how they distribute scholarships and I, from what I understand it's actually not that big of an advantage but uh, that is bizarre and you're right why I don't know I, I guess. I cannot for the life of me understand why they don't hand out more full scholarships to baseball players. Why is the sport kind of like a, a treated like a stepchild of the major three programs? I can't, I cannot understand that at all. Well, I, I don't know. I, sometimes it's not viewed as a major program perhaps, or that, and just to play devil's advocate in some ways, it is a, it is a, um, an expensive sport to sponsor with number of players and number of games and the amount of travel that it takes and hotel rooms and all of that. But I mean, it's, it, I'm lucky in that I don't have to play the businessman with this, with this, uh, <laughs> with this gig. I never have had to worry about counting the dollars and cents. I'm counting the base hits and the errors and strikeouts yeah. and all that. <clears throat> so, but, uh, I, I mean, College baseball probably would uh, would would benefit from a third paid assistant, even if it was just that, that that you felt like there was some sort of progress in 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 how it's treated financially. Right. Well, Mr. Phil, we appreciate you coming on the Hog Talk podcast tonight. Uh, we I, I don't I can't speak for Peck and and Ty, but man, you're you're the bomb, and I, I can't wait to uh, hear you. Continue to call baseball for many years to come for the Razorbacks. There's nobody better if you want my opinion. You, look, I mean, Chuck Barrett called the Hogs for, for years, and I grew up listening to Chuck Barrett, but I love Chuck and what he brings to the table, but you are great at what you do, sir. Well, I appreciate you guys for, for having me on and doing this and, and for your sentiments, too. Thanks very much. Thanks hey, yes, sir. On. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for taking time out of, out of your off season to, to come speak with us. And, yeah, you are – you are one of the best in the, the biz, if not the best. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the, the women's games coming up. Mike Neighbors has got it rolling, and, of course, with the baseball. So I guess it's got to be very exciting for you that you get to follow two programs, that one's on the rise and the other one that's already there. That's for sure. I, I think I think the sky's the limit for the women's basketball team. And uh, oh yeah, baseball's already where it's been. Yeah, I'm, I'm – my, I'm lucky. My winning percentage as a broadcaster has been at least pretty good the last year for the most part. Well, you're a good luck charm, apparently. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Just make sure you edit well, out that part where I said I couldn't give you the name of the uh, of the kids who are going to have an impact as, as freshmen, okay? No problem. No problem. All right, cool. Well, Mr. Phil, have a good night. Okay, you too. Thanks a lot, Phil. Bye. Well, that will do it for tonight's show Episode number 13 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Ty, thanks for being on as always. And Peck, congratulations on being a producer of our show, man. You're doing a great job. You're killing it. And I'm looking forward to the big event that we have coming up in September that we will announce on Facebook uh, coming in the next coming days. So you all stay tuned for that announcement. So Ty, thanks, man. Uh, anything, any last words you want to say to Razorback Nation? No, uh, just you know, we're gonna 
we're going to do our best to kind of keep up with fall camp. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we're going to look for consistency, who stands out, who the coaches are bragging on the most, who the media is bragging on. We know it's limited. I, I think the, the media, it's the same as it has been under uh, Chad Morris. It's going to be very limited access for the media. So, But we're going to do our best to – to cover what we can and talk about what we what we see and so just keep a keep your eyes and ears out if you got questions feel free to ask us anytime during the week and of course smash the ratings button if you're on itunes give us a review we'd we'd really appreciate that if you if if you want to if you want to oblige feel free to write in a little comment if you want to but we certainly appreciate if you guys would give us a rating you know give us some star power we'd really appreciate it final words from you pick just like share like, share, retweet all our stuff. You know, we, we can't do this without our fans. And we love hearing all the questions you have and keep them coming. Uh, like Jacob said, I'm really looking forward to, you know, our, our big announcement on Facebook here in the next couple of days of, of what we're working on and looking forward to the future of the Hog Talk podcast. Yes, sir. So Razorback fans, make sure you subscribe, you like, you share, you retweet, do whatever you can on social media, get our message out there. We really appreciate you. And for episode number 13, this is Jacob, your host, Ty in Springdale, and Peck in Ozark. This is the Hog Talk Podcast. TMK Properties is a premier real estate agency for folks looking to move into Sheridan and the surrounding area of Grant County, Arkansas. Tony and Mary Kay Palmer, with their elite real estate agents, are equipped and ready to make your search for the dream home go smoothly as possible. Schedule an appointment with them today at 870-942-0800. Shelby Taylor Trucking is the leading timber company in the business. If you need your lane cleared today, call them at 870-942-7288. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.